Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's good, fam? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. It has creation tools to help you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or from your computer. Anchor will even help distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast, it's all in one place. Download the free Anchor app. I'll go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you. I know that there's a lot of content out there vying for your time, and it is not lost on me that this is a choice of yours to select this audio or this video experience. I appreciate it. A couple of housekeeping things, if you would, uh, whatever audio platform that you're on, that you're listening to, please follow the podcast. Please rate it. Continuing the trend from last week, I hope this is coming across a little bit more upbeat um, because I, again, don't have to do this on my own. I have the pleasure of having a dear son conversation with the man whose son I am. My father, Leonard Johns, is joining the podcast. Uh, I rarely can call him by his first and last name, so I'll take full advantage of that. But dad, how are you doing today? I always want to check and make sure I get an honest answer of how guests are doing. Well, you know why I'm doing so well, but that's a conversation for another time, but I'm feeling great. We can speak on it and we hope that the results are the same at the conclusion <laughs> yes. of this podcast. But those Cowboys con- are winning. There you go. For context, okay. it may be something we'll talk about because okay. I was it's a mandatory Cowboys fan in my house, uh, but I am happy to have you on this podcast this is not new to you. The podcast that is, is not new to you. You heard uh, a couple of episodes and I kind of want to start there. Like, what are your thoughts thus far? Anything that I've misrepresented that we need to clear up right off the bat? I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, no, I think you've done an excellent job. I am so proud of what you're doing and I am hoping that it accomplishes a goal much higher 
that you expect because this is something that's needed in our community and in, in all communities. Right. Appreciate that. Uh, always thank you for support. I have very supportive parents. Um, my father is represented here today, clearly, but uh, mother and father are very supportive uh, through all of my uh, in- <laughs> endeavors throughout the years. Uh, so you've seen the podcast, you know, we start with the fatherhood story, just a quick snapshot of your fatherhood journey from, um, what, what was the the dynamic in the house that you were raised in quick summary of your interactions with your father. And then of course we'll dig deeper. Okay. Well, I come from a two parent home, a very stable, very, uh, structured, uh, very, uh, what you might expect of, of uh, baby boomers. Uh, my father was a veteran. I am a veteran. Uh, I have three, had three sisters, only have one now. My mother lived to be a great, ripe old age. My father died when I was about 20 years old. We didn't have a chance to develop an adult relationship. As a matter of fact, those years uh, were very touch and go for me. And uh, I'm, I learned it by hook and by crook and by error and correction. Uh, that's my story. I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that was very close to being the, the symbol of the uh, typical village. There were many mothers in my neighborhood of which I still revere and appreciate all of their input into my becoming what I am today. So one thing I recall that you would say often is you didn't realize that you were poor. Well, right. am I mischaracterizing that? You didn't realize what your economic condition was because that was how everything was around you. Yeah. What was that like? We grew up in a neighborhood where the average salary may have been four to $5,000 a year. Rent may have been $35, $40 a month. Uh, mainly, mostly there were at least multiple children in the household. Uh, we did not have separate accommodations as you would expect. We lived very compact, but we enjoyed our relationship with our neighbors, uh, with our parents, and with our second and third generation uh, parents and grandparents. So it was a very uh, comfortable uh time in my life. I felt very secure. I didn't feel threatened by anything. Uh, the sky was the limit. My parents encouraged me to get an education. And uh, I was encouraged by my teachers. And I was held accountable by just about every adult that I knew. So you mentioned that your father died at what age? Because I want to make sure I he got He died right. when, when he was 46 years old. And you were? I was 20. Okay. So... Up until that time, what would you suggest is your fondest memory of your father? And that could be a recurring thing, a one-time thing. What, what do you remember most about uh, your relationship that impacted you? What I enjoyed most was watching my father uh, practice his uh, hobby or his craft or his trade in carpentry. He would start with pieces of boards and in a couple of days, he would have furniture. One of the other things was that he grew up in the country. And I used to love to go where he grew up and see the places that he played and 
where he learned certain things and the relatives that were around there. It was uh, very uh, meaningful to me to be around my father's people. Got it. So aside from you observing, was he very talkative? What was your communication like outside of verbal cues or you watching him and observing him? What was that like? The only time my father had a voluntary conversation with me uh, was probably to find out where something that had been misplaced or something perhaps I should have done. But as far as being verbal, my father was almost nonverbal. Wow. How do you think that impacted the way that you conducted yourself as a man and then later as a father? Well, I knew I wanted more from my father. I admired him. I uh, looked up to him and his skills and his abilities, and especially how he interacted with other people. My father didn't know any strangers. Uh, and so I kind of model all of his uh, positive traits and I tried to take him to the next level. What do you think the barrier was with him being as, it sounds like he was very jovial, very personable with other, I assume, adults. Mm -hmm. What do you think that barrier was with uh, between him and his, and it was, was it between him and you specifically or him and all of your siblings, you and all of your siblings, where it just wasn't a lot of talking? All of us were practically be seen and not so much heard. Uh, around the holiday time when there was a dinner, you were paraded and, you know, you told them what, how old you were, what grade you were in, you know, how well you were doing and the, look at the site you're growing, those kinds of things. But for, for all the other times, uh, my father had at least two jobs, at least. I've known him to have three and four. So he spent very little time interacting with the family. He was mostly trying to keep a roof over our head, food on the table, and provide some of our wants. So my last, I don't know if it was my last or my first podcast, I revealed some concerns I had about my inability to consistently communicate expectations to my son, your grandson. Yeah. For expectations set? And if so, how, if they were not verbally? They were one sentence demands. You will do your best in school. You have not done your best in school. There are consequences. And that's the way it was communicated. I did not fear my father. I revered my father. I wanted to make him proud of me. Mm -hmm. But we never got to that point where I think the closest we got was when I graduated from high school. And as I was leaving to go for the graduation early, uh, he came in and told me how proud he was of me. And that was probably the first time that I could recall my father positively uh, validating anything in my life. And he also gave me $25. Now, that was a lot of money then. That was almost considering. Rent. I didn't get, we didn't do birthdays. So, you know, that 
the only time we got a gift was Christmas. Do you think he wanted to do more? Or do you think what he did, he felt was enough and appropriate? I think my mother had a whole lot to do with how he did what he did. Uh, she would try to encourage him to be more interactive with his children and with me particularly. Uh, but he could never bring himself, I guess, to teach me or to give me counsel. I don't know if he had counsel to give me. I miss not knowing how to manage money. And if my father had been one of those people that could have shared with me how he managed to acquire what he's gotten, what he got, then I might have had a better handle or control on my economic status, even to this very day. During that time, well, let me let me back up. Was your situation common amongst your friends, your neighborhood? Was it were there were there dads in the house? And if so, was this kind of the common practice in terms of communication or lack thereof? Yes, I had my my very best friend of whom I thought he had a better father than me. And I found out very uh, not too long ago that what I saw was not what uh, mm. met my expectate what were my expectations of their interaction and their family life. They, to this day, are very emotionally unstable uh, because he was so domineering and overbearing out of sight. But when we were around as kids, he came across as the perfect uh, pal of a father. Mm. Uh, but there were other things that were underlying that they, they are nervous to this day. Even just mentioning his name, they just they have some problems. At what point did you feel like, know, or think something was missing? Uh, when my father passed. What, what, what was that? So what, what, I don't want to say the aha moment. Mm -hmm. the, was it? It was the aha moment when I came home from Vietnam. I went up to the VA hospital in the room that he was hospicing in mm -hmm. or terminally there. And I saw him. Helpless. What 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 was his mind state? Was he able to communicate or recognize you? Barely. Hmm. He could say my name. I'm not sure if he could see me from his condition. Hmm. He died of uh, adenocarcinoma of the pancreas, and it was in like stage four or five, if there's such a one. And uh, that that was the last conversation that we had. Him being alert or coherent. What was it and like? I I tried to communicate to him how much I didn't want to lose him, mm -hmm. but he was not comprehending the fact that he was dying, I don't think. And so he was more concerned about these tubes that were in him, uh, if he was going to get something to eat. He, he had gotten to the point where he was not uh, connecting with reality, per se. And I was trying to connect to him at that point, And I realized that this was futile. And so I, the next time I saw him was when, they, when we got that call at 4 o'clock in the morning and said he had passed. And my mother and I had to go down and, and make the arrangements and 
you know, they still have to identify the body and all of that. But uh, it was, uh, that's when I realized, I, I don't, as, as, as I tell you what was an aha moment. When I was in Vietnam, I wanted to surprise my father. All of his carpentry crafts were done with hand tools. He never had an electric drill, electric saw, electric anything. Everything was done with a level, with a hand saw, with a, 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 a drill that you did by hand. Mm-hmm. And so I bought him all of those tools. I bought him all of those tools so that he could do his job, but I didn't know how sick he was. You bought the tools in Vietnam? I bought them and had them shipped here. Wow. Yeah. And when I when I saw those tools, I, that's when the aha moment came. Mortality. That he never knew how much I was planning to have a father-son learning experience mm-hmm. with him. How long were you aware of this condition? Well, it came when I left to go to Vietnam. He was not well, but he was not too sick to go to work. Was he diagnosed at that point or was he just, look, you could tell something was off. He was. I could tell that he was a little sicker than what he let on. Mm. But I was, I was sure it was something that he would, you know, he's from the old school. Uh, they just worked through it and, and just get better. Yeah. While I was in Vietnam, my grandmother was who I was so much more attached to probably than any other human being on the earth, I think, at that time. Uh, she was terminally ill. She had a heart attack and she passed. And they didn't tell me. They didn't tell me because my father had reached a point of hospice. And they knew if it gave me a choice, if they told me that my grandmother was ill or dying, I was coming home. Right. When, But they didn't tell me. I didn't find out until I got here. So when I got the message that my father had two weeks to live, they sent me home. They didn't wow. ask me if I wanted to go. They sent me home. And then they asked me while I was still in Vietnam, do you want to get out of the military because you were the sole surviving son? And I told them no, because I didn't know the dynamics of what our finances were going to be. So I need to stay where I was and at least uh, finish my tour. So you did go back? Oh, yes. I did uh, go so back. That, so that's one thing that I did have. It, I had, I misstated earlier. I thought you came home because you were the, the sole surviving son. But you I had that option. Tour. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it, when, your, when your father died, was your grandfather alive? Yes. Grandfather was still alive. He didn't die. He, my grandfather died two years later. What is it like to have a grandfather? Oh, that is probably the most uh, secure feeling that you have of your posterity, to be able to, to communicate with the original, as original as I could get. I couldn't go back any further than, you know, I never knew my greats, but yeah. my grandfather was sort of the anchor for the family on my mother's side. My father's father had died before he went in the military also. Okay. So your father's father had already passed. This is my mother's father that was still still alive. So your father's father, your maternal grandfather, Mm -hmm. 
did he die at the same point in his in your dad's life that your dad died in your life? Oh no, much earlier. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my grandfather died at seventy five, and your father was. My father was forty six when he died. So he had him as an adult. Yeah. Okay. When you came home and found out that your grandmother that you were attached to had died, was there any resentment? Kind of yes, but I was I was focusing more on the the uh, the the dilemma mm-hmm. of that moment that I didn't process it until I got back to Vietnam. And what was that timeline like? You came home, yeah, thirty days, thirty days. Mm-hmm. Did you ever grieve? No. No, I didn't. How do you think that changed or informed the, the, the balance of your adulthood as a man? Well, I kind of distanced myself from grief, knowing that death is a sure uh, possibility for all human beings. And so I didn't process the grief probably as I should have. I was more concerned about the dynamics of where do we go from here? And I had no question. I had no one to answer my questions, especially in Vietnam, but I had no one to answer my questions. Even when I got back, I found other men uh, that I looked up to and continued the process of maturity with their counsel. Did you ever feel any guilt? Yes. How so? Yes. I felt like I should have paid more attention to my father's situation, his feelings. He he didn't know how to communicate with me. And I feel like I could have done something to change that. I know a few times... Uh, that I tried to have a conversation with him. And it was going pretty good, uh, except for I was very young at the time, and I didn't know where to go with that conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I certainly had a lot more questions I would like to have asked him uh, after he was gone. And still now. Still now. Like, what? So I'm, I'm really almost fascinated by the grandfather grandson experience because I I never had it like your father, right. and as I understand, I, I I look more like him than I do like you, right? Yes, yes, you are probably, you are his image. Yeah, probably in terms of mannerism, the way you describe him. Yeah, I don't always communicate the most or the best, and right. and that's part of this journey. This uh this 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 podcast it's, it's more than a podcast. It's me working through things, and uh you know part of that is I had to look at the relationship that we had, right? right. And what, what my ownership was and however that played out when it wasn't great mm-hmm. and being thankful that it is great now. Yeah. When you became a father, how much more impactful was not having your father at that point? I felt like I'm cheating my children. Hmm. They can't see where I came from. Only thing they got is what they saw. They had nothing to compare that to, nothing to base uh, my uh, idiosyncrasies, my ways, uh, 
my uh, mannerisms or my thought patterns or what I liked or disliked. They, they didn't have anything. So there were things that were just coming at you. And you're just wondering, well, why does he do? Why is he like that? But if you if you had if you, if you had known my grandfather or my father, oh, that would have been so great if you could have known my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you could have known my father, you would have appreciated me a whole lot more. I believe because of the the difference in how he raised yeah. you and what I would see and how you raised me. Right. You you would have known that you got a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I get that now. And, right. And, and, and but I'm I, saying you would have seen it earlier in real time. Right. Yeah. I don't know why I was so distant from you. Uh, I you know, no- I, th- I think I know Well, I, I I'll say it this way. Do you remember that picture that I took of you and your sister about two, 11 o'clock at night one? And uh, I, I had a, ca- a new camera and I was practicing taking portraits. Oh, and no. I took a picture of you. And then I took, you were about two years old. So Sherlock oh, was nah. about seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Well, maybe you were like 18 months and Sherlock was like six and something. When I tried to get you to smile because I was smiling, you didn't. Very, very and from awful. that point on, why would well, a two. child not smile at the parent who is providing everything that they need right then and still struggling to to teach them and to uh, love them and to, you know, or put some order into their lives? So in hindsight, was that a realistic expectation of a two-year-old? No, but it gave me a foundation of, oh, this is how the journey is going to go. Uh, So I was trying to not be disappointed when you didn't smile or you didn't act like you like being around me. Do you think you you found yourself at any point overcorrecting? Yes. Oh, so? Of course, yes. How so? Uh, of course, yes. There were things that uh, I regret having done it the way that I did it. Uh, but I was trying to uh, make sure that the uh, the stability of the home was paramount, mm-hmm. and that uh, uh, that there are some lessons that will be difficult to learn, and you just have to learn them. One theory that I don't, not even a theory, one uh, behavior pattern that I really don't understand in our culture, specifically father to son, is allowing the father, allowing the son to go through difficulties simply because the father went through them. And they feel well, like that, that, that breeds character and, and makes him a better man. And like, were you conscious of that? Was that ever a thought that, hey, he needs to go through this? Very much so. And like I said, if you had known my father, you would realize that what you got was a good deal. Right. But it could it could have been a whole lot more distance if we both had gone down the same road of, you know, I'm not going to bend or break. And uh, there, there were times that I gave you some punishments that I recanted and uh, 
after I had done it, I said, maybe, no, that's, maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. That, that may have been too harsh. I remember and, the last one. Huh? All right, do you remember the last one? Uh, you said it would never happen again. And I think you were more emotionally disturbed than I was physically in pain. Okay, was that when you were 12? Uh, I want to say 13. No, it was 12, seventh grade. Yeah. When oh, I yeah. ran away. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That, that, that gave me a different kind of heartache. One that, uh, that you, I hope you never have that heartache of yeah. having your children not able to confide or, or come to you with any problems that they have. Right. And I felt like you felt that you were too big of a disappointment mm-hmm. to approach that there would be no mercy and no grace in my handling of that situation. Yeah. And, and to, to know that was more taxing than you could ever realize. I thought I had lost you emotionally, physically, socially, any kind of way. I thought that we were coming to a total disconnect. So at 12 year old, as a 12 year old, I can mm-hmm. vividly remember how I processed that. And it was disappointment, right? That was, I think it had something to do with, you, you had, you came to the school for some reason, because, he, and I doubt that it was discipline, but maybe I hadn't turned in my homework. It was, for some reason, you had to stop your day at work, come to the school. I knew that I didn't want to see you when I got home. Okay. Not because I hated you, because the consequences. I, I, I knew what what my, what my I had uh, contributed to the situation, <laughs> and I knew what was reasonably expected based on the history. Right. Right. And I never felt like I was abused, but you were stern. Right. Okay. There were things that if the line was crossed, it wasn't, I wasn't unsure if I crossed it. Right. Right. It was very clear in very real time. You cross the line and this is what happens. Okay. So I was trying to avoid that. That wasn't so much of the, I don't like my dad or dare I say hate my dad. That was, man, I'm, I am really messing up. I am really a disgrace to my family. And this is not going to be great when I get home. Now, the can of beans and the and the Rambo knife that I packed wasn't gonna get me far. Right, it got me about a mile, a mile and a half away. Right, but um, as as a as a father now, son or daughter, I can appreciate that sentiment. I mean, we just went through a situation last week at the school where we where it struck us very very vividly and very mm-hmm. acutely that something can happen to your child and you would never see him again. Right, so I I get that in hindsight. What what other behaviors did I demonstrate that you saw and wish you had maybe acted on them earlier than you did? I think I acted on most of them. I do too. I just I just wanted to throw it out there. <laughs> most of them immediately. Of yeah. Uh, I don't feel like I overlooked anything. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there are probably some things that I could have done better. Yeah, I wasn't a perfect father, uh, but I was trying perfectly to be a good father. Right. I want to throw a couple of uh, phrases or sayings out there, <laughs> and uh, you just respond. 
Okay. And hopefully all of these are tied to you in some way. Um, okay. Life is like a bowl of cherries. <laughs> Sometimes you get the pits. Right. Where did that come from? Uh, that I learned that in school myself. I uh-huh. think it's some author gave us that line. But the meaning was, well, for one thing, when I was growing up, we couldn't relate to cherries. We couldn't afford to eat cherries. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that was a very expensive food for us. They still are. Uh, they still are. Still are. And uh, to, that was just to let you know that because something seems so beautiful on the outside, that at some point in time, uh, you can get to the pit of that thing, which uh, has some degree of difficulty attached that makes the fruit bittersweet. And usually when I said it, it was one of those occasions. The time that I remember it the most is, I don't know if it was third or fourth grade, but I was sick and I did not want to go to school. Mm -hmm. And you had bought tickets to the Globetrotters or something like that. Uh And that was a condition for me to go to that game. That I had to go to school. If I wasn't well enough to go to school, surely I wasn't well enough to go to that that game. But you told me life is like a bowl of cherries. Right. Sometimes you had to fits. Right. Um, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Until your good becomes better, and your better becomes best. Right. I I heard that in the village mm-hmm. that I grew up. Adults would often tell you to encourage you, especially if they saw you doing something that wasn't up to your potential. Hmm. If you could carry yourself a better way, choose better ways of communicating without using language that was offensive or without coming across as threatening or coming across as uncaring, uh, that even though uh, you may be thinking you're doing good, don't let that be the standard by which you mature to or from or mature, but that you were always trying to get better. And as long as you were trying to get better, you were probably going to be doing your best. You will never know your best until you, it comes to rest. And then you reflect and say, like what we're doing now, I thought I was doing my best, but... uh we're reflecting now that it could have been better. Six of one, half dozen or the other. Uh, of the other. Of the other. <laughs> that was a saying that what you have said and what I have said, we may have said it differently, but it's the same thing. What you did and what I did were the same thing, even though they may have been interpreted differently. Was there ever a time in your life where you thought that phrase was applicable, but later figured out that it wasn't? I usually chose those kinds of phrases for appropriate moments. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something I was that I would flippantly say or you would hear it, you know, just being around me. Mm-hmm. But I think I chose my times well that I, I, I would use that. And I usually used it when we got to a point that we had discussed it. Mm-hmm. And then here's the results. Six of one, half dozen the other. You say tomatoes, I say tomato. So let me ask it differently. Was there a time where you thought the action was equitable to another 
course of action. But later figured out that mm, they weren't so equal and maybe I... Maybe I may I have done that. I may have done that. I can't recall a situation where um, that that was the case. I'm, I'm almost certain that I probably didn't evaluate every decision and every thought yeah. uh, to that degree. Yeah, I have several. Okay. For, for another podcast. <laughs> okay. Last one. I'm your father. I'm not your friend. Uh, that that's my own personal observation on where society was going with the next generation. And I would much rather be your father and you grow up to be a responsible, contributing, positive member of society than to be your friend and have you to just slip and slide through some serious experiences in your life and then later realize that uh, you could have had better counsel. Makes sense. What's one conversation specifically that you wish you had with me sooner than later? Probably puberty. Interesting. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Because that was a conversation my father didn't have with me. My mother and I had it. And because my father couldn't handle biology the dynamics of uh, eros, you know, feelings and emotions and uh, immaturity and exploration and all those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have anything to base that on. So I gave you the same book my mother gave me. Didn't read it. On Becoming a Young Man. man. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, <laughs> I assume that the rest of it would have been done in your health class. But there was one occasion that uh, you, I don't know if you remember, that you experienced something that perhaps you weren't ready to process oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't have to go into great detail. I, but perhaps that would have been an occasion that we could have uh, discussed it. That, so I'm but glad. But I do regret that. I do regret that seriously. I am glad that this is going to come out when it's going to come out. Right. Because one of the next topics is I'm not going to say it, but okay. it's, it is, it is, it is in that vein. And um, I honestly couldn't remember. I know we didn't talk about it a lot, if at all. Right. But I couldn't remember if it was me not taking the information that you were given or if it just wasn't, we just didn't, it just wasn't in the gender topic. It right. sounds more like the latter. What has been your experience watching me seeing that you were actually benefiting and listening to how I did it. <laughs> Watching your kids are just as uh, mannerable as what we wanted you to be. You and your sister never embarrassed us in public. You never gave us any reason to think that there was something uh, unaddressed in your life. So when I see what you are doing and I admire you for raising five kids, you deserve an award. Co-award. If you think motherhood of five kids is something, 
you got the expectations of five kids and a wife. I don't think a wife has to worry about the expectation of her husband because her focus is so driven to seeing her kids get to the point of responsibility mm -hmm. and accountability and, uh, you know, uh, honest and, and respectful. Yeah. I wouldn't trade uh, with motherhood by any stretch. Uh, I don't want that responsibility. I don't, I don't, I think that is a very tough role. Yes, it is. Fatherhood is a tough role as well. And I choose this one all day, every day. Okay. But did you see any, what concerns you as you watch me on my fatherhood journey? What concerns me is uh, what the final goal is or what your standards of uh, character for your children. I'm not sure if I am clear on what things that you allow, what things you are comfortable with, what things, you know, are a product of your environment or your generation or mm -hmm. uh, just the dynamics of the family itself. I mean, when you have five people, five kids in the home, the dynamics are very different than, than the, what you grew up. Yeah. And, uh, but see, I grew up with four people in the home, four of us in the home. Right. So I, I saw how, uh, what was necessary to keep balance in that home. And it was to make sure that uh, the children never see the parents in a disagreement to the point where it gets out of control. Yeah. I never saw my father and mother kiss or hug, mm. but I never saw my father threaten my mother. Right. Or I never saw my mother trying to do something to, uh, to uh, get some kind of, attention from my father. Yeah. And, and we didn't have a big affectionate home. I mean, that was love, mm -hmm. right. But PDAs, public displays of affection. I didn't see right. that with you and, and uh, my mom as well. And it creates a different dynamic an interesting dynamic that uh, Keisha and I, Keisha and my wife, for those that don't know, just discussed the other day is that, because her upbringing was so different, like mm -hmm. they were all over each other, sitting next to each other, on top of each other, okay, loud yeah. and talking and all of that. Mm -hmm. That's how they demonstrated love. And that's her expectation from how she grew up. So to the extent that I'm not like that, she understands, but it creates this gap in mm -hmm. what she needs versus what I'm providing. Right? right. So I had to become aware of that and try to make the appropriate adjustments. But these are not things that I, think about like when you're pursuing someone or pursuing marriage about how much of your family dynamic impacts right. how you treat them and how different it may be and what that's like to work through it. Yeah. Uh, so I can definitely, I can definitely appreciate that. I'm just, I'm processing some of the, some of the things that you said. You mentioned in your concerns, like what is different generationally and, mm -hmm. and how that impacts how I uh, rear or set expectations for my kids. I see a similar dynamic in you, and we had a laugh about it the other day. You know, Donovan's struggling, same, and, and the, the scary thing is that it's very similar 
on par to, to my story. Turning in homework on time, mm-hmm. making sure that he's doing the right, not even the right thing because he's not disruptive at all, but just staying on top of his work. And you almost had an excuse for him when we talked the other day because it's a different time. It's, uh, you know, things are different. They're dealing with different stuff. When do grandparents really change that much that so much is acceptable for grandkids that wasn't acceptable for your kids? As you are processing the woulda, coulda, shoulda, Mm. you choose not to make the same mistakes again, and you try to mediate between the the, uh, child and the grandchild. And you try to uh, create an atmosphere where uh, there is an outlet for both. And that's how my mother, your, your mother and I have approached, you know, she has a much more lenient mm-hmm. uh, response to your dynamics than me. But at the same time, I realized that I need to process the experiences that your family has gone through are not even close to, to the way I grew up. I, yeah. We never, our family never went on a vacation together. We never ate in a restaurant together. I've never stayed in a hotel with my family. Very rarely were there any experiences that we did as a family other than, you know, the chores in the house or, you know, going to church or, going to the store, those are the only times that we were together. If your father was alive today, you you would have been different and I would have been different. Okay. Well, then three things, let's, let's, how would, how would you, how would you be different? And in turn, how do you think that would have changed my dynamic? Well, if my father was still alive, there would have been no you. Oh, I had other plans. I plan to spend 20 years in the military, 20 years in the post office, retire on the West Coast in Oregon. I wasn't married at the time, and I'm certain that I would not have met your mother. So that would not have been you. But now that you are here, I can tell you how I would have been different for you if my father had still been living, because I would have known uh, to get counsel from him. I wanted, very much wanted an adult relationship with my father. He had skills I admired. He had ways that I saw how I could use to my advantage. Uh, and a, a different, you know, just a whole different approach uh, to life. And then to, uh, For you, it would have been different because you could have seen my father in action. You would have seen how much more you identify with our family because his uh, imprint was all over you. And you would have had a greater respect for the things that I had to go through with him and how I'm going through the same things with you if he was still alive. My mother would have been different. Where we live would have been different. Your father died of a cancer, correct? Yes. Cancer. When you were diagnosed 
yes. with prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. How did you process that given your father did not come through as you did eventually? But at that There were time, a couple of things to my advantage. It. First of all, we got it early in my case. I had the decision to make and how to go about the treatment. I was educated on what my options were. I was familiar with the medical community to trust that uh, there could be a positive outcome. And actually, I guess I was too, uh, I don't want to say dumb, to be afraid of cancer. I do not see cancer as a one and done thing. I think all diseases have some course of recourse to them to either prolong it, uh, to bring it into remission, or to uh, just to be able to live through it. So what the way I processed it was that uh, this, uh, this is not going to be my story. Now, I was about the same age as him. I was 50, and he was 46, so I was 50. The year I turned 50. I'm 42. I know. I have those thoughts. Yeah, you had some of the same surgeries that I've had. Yeah. You had the same surgery that I had twice. What was, was that time in your life, was it a pivotal shift? Yes. If so, how? Yes. It helped me to realize that I had not provided a future for my family. That I had not connected all the dots. That I had not made all the provisions for what's going to be said and done at my funeral. The older you get, the more important that becomes you, you things really don't matter things stop mattering uh, uh, I, I didn't spend money on me anymore I was more concerned about my legacy what, what was my impact on humanity what was the reality of my existence or my purpose for being on the earth and I wanted to fulfill that and I I guess you have seen it as I have become more and more accepting and more and more comfortable around just about any and every one. Because I realized that I may pass this way only once. And why not make the best of that one time? And if it turns into any more, how can I make it better? So at the time your father passed, it was important for you for him to know how you felt about him. Yes. And and you communicated that he may or may not have received it the way that you communicated it. But what I want to understand from you today is how important is it to you to know how I feel about you? Uh, Son, I think about that every, unconsciously, every waking moment. But I'm sure consciously throughout the day, maybe several times a day, I'm just wondering, 
Am I connected to my son? Does he want me to be around for a long time? Or is it convenient for him to be where he is? Or why are we so far apart physically? I'm just so grateful that we're having this. If you don't know how much I wanted to have this conversation, you just don't know how much of a blessing this podcast is to me. So when you told me we were doing it, uh, I just prepared myself for no holes barred and to let you know how much I love you and uh, appreciate and uh, you know admire what you are doing. And I don't think you realize the potential that you have and I see greatness in you. And to know that I had a small part in that is so part. refreshing and rewarding. It's, it's extremely modest to say you had a small part. You 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 birthed this literally and figuratively. Okay. Um, I am proud to be your son. I am proud of you as a man. I am thankful for you. Of course, I love you. I appreciate you on a different scale because I am away. Having been away, having been overseas, it is a almost an almost paralyzing. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, just the when when a man understands the responsibility of family, mm -hmm. not when a man creates a family and children are born, mm -hmm. but when a man understands and accepts the responsibility of family and the fate of his family and these mm -hmm. people rest on his decisions day by day. It's a very humbling and sometimes humiliating process. Right. And I know that I went through a lot of that process without seeking your counsel, not mm -hmm. because you didn't have it to give, but part of me as I, as I referenced in the earlier podcast was embarrassment and shame because I created this gap. Yeah. And it became, so normal not to seek your counselor, ask you questions that I just dealt with the consequences. And there were okay. many, many that you know and some you don't know and oh, probably can't. I know cannot a lot more than you think I know. Well, add, right. add 10 more to that. So, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. But this, this is important to me because I don't like the generational curse phrase. Right. I think there are negative and positive cycles that flow through a family's lineage. Yes. And there are opportunities to exploit the positive and there right. are oppor opportunities to end the negative. Right. This is about ending a negative cycle that I am largely responsible for. Okay. So one thing this platform is not is a dad bashing platform, right. specifically my father, because there's no mm -hmm. need for that. But it is a an opportunity to have conversations that clarify, yeah. that reveal, that heal, that help. Yes. Um, and that's where I see my purpose. Okay. And I haven't seen purpose this clear, but with that things I've been passionate about before, you know, I'm always starting something, a mm -hmm. business, a thing, an idea. And uh, some are great, some are not. Um, but that's just me. But this one, I appreciate the acknowledgement of the potential it has. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it anyway. And if it lives on beyond me, and that's when it has the impact, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this is something 
that I have to do. This has been great for me. I, I've, I wasn't nervous about having a conversation, but I wanted to lay the groundwork and get more Mia Coopers out. Like here's my contribution to what the relationship is than to jump into it as if we're estranged because mm-hmm. we're far from that. Right. But there were opportunities that we could have done more better sooner. Right. Um, and I'm just trying to be more aware of that so that I don't repeat it with my son who will grace the podcast at some point for those that have been asking. Okay. Um, to end it, I like to end it with a segment I call father to father. It's mm-hmm. where I seek advice from my conversation counterpart uh, about what they would tell me about fatherhood that would help me along my journey. And you've told me a lot along the years, but at this stage of my life, what is your father to father word for me? Just remember that we were all created one blood. There are no better people. There are no worse people. We are all people that have flaws, disappointments, high highs and lows in our maturity. And that if you could just see everybody else in the context of your struggle, that somebody gave you mercy and grace for you to survive and then be willing to extend that to everybody, not just your family, everybody, because we are family. That's what is a part of the problem with society is today is they just don't realize that we are family. And what we do to hurt another individual indirectly puts a a poor light on what we are as family. I appreciate that. And I, that is resonating as resonating as you said it. Um, Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you gracing the platform. Perhaps it won't be the last. There may be a reason to, Uh, circle back and tap into a specific topic in more detail okay i appreciate you i appreciate your time uh for those that are watching and listening thank you if you've made it to this point in the podcast i would certainly appreciate it if you like make sure you follow the platform if you're listening on audio again if you're on youtube make sure you subscribe please do that now if you haven't already the likes help the comments help specifically because it, it demonstrates community these are not topics of um, lacking substance. They are intended to generate and continue the conversation. So get busy in the comments. I think that's all for this podcast. God bless you. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved.